thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Well, because you're going to have a comedian, I thought I'd start with some jokes because Ian loves my jokes. That's right, isn't it? You love my jokes, yeah? Um, I had to stop teaching origami. There was too much paperwork. <laughs> Rebecca liked it. That's good. Okay, I said to the travel agent, I wanted a relaxing trip, trip to Romania. He said, book a rest. I said, well, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> no. <laughs> book, book a rest. Yeah, book a rest. Okay. Yeah. Do I love a conga? Yes, I come from a long line of conga lovers. <laughs> no, okay. Right, I'll stop there. For those of you who are visiting, I'm very sorry. I don't try and tell jokes all the time, but I do like a good laugh. Well, okay, I do. But uh, we're going to look today at the, the truth of God's word. And uh, it's really important that we recognize that God is, you know, God is good. And, and his word is true. It's yesterday, today, forever. And his promises are yes and amen. So we're going to be looking. Uh, we've been doing a series on four simple words. Uh, we finished that, I think, next week. But I wasn't going to move it forwards because of just having short time. So uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, near the very beginning of the Bible. Um, So if you have got your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. It will be up on the screen behind us. Um, So if you haven't, don't panic. Um, But I'm going to read. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 3 just to start off with, and then I'll unpack it a little bit as we go. Let's pray before we do that. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. And I pray, Lord, this morning, as we've sung words of your truth and words of, of the power of the name of Jesus, the fact that your grace is sufficient. I pray, Lord, this morning, as we read your word, you will just open our eyes to who you are. We want to see Jesus in your name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 3. I'll read it quite quickly. Um, So if you struggle to keep up, I'll go back to pertinent points as I speak. So, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? There's a question. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Maybe that's a question we need to hear this morning. God says, where are you? Not necessarily in a building in Barrow, 
But where are you spiritually? Where are you in relation to God? Where are you? So God says, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be able to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so... Many people will talk about their truth. Many people read the Bible and just think, somebody said to me the other day, but it's just a collection of stories made up by people, isn't it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> There's an awful lot of archaeological, historical, other evidence. But this morning we haven't got time to go into all of those things. There's books. You know, some people think that you've got to leave your brain at the door to be a Christian, that you've got to leave your brain at the door to even think about God. Well, perhaps we need to tell that to some of the professors of maths and physics in our universities or some of the incredibly intelligent scientists that have made discoveries. Maybe we need to tell them perhaps they're not using their brains properly. But actually, the Bible is full of truth. And we're looking at a passage in the Bible that's known as the fall, the fall of man. And it tells us the consequences of the fall. First thing to notice, there's a lot of words, and this morning you're going to get a little bit of a lesson in words. Anyone like words? Yeah, okay. Those of you who don't, really sorry. But um, the first thing to notice is that the enemy that causes the fall, it says he was crafty. Doesn't mean he was out there cutting up bits of paper and making like nice dresses. He was crafty, he was sneaky. So sneaky that you won't even notice it's him. The enemy attacks in a way that you won't even know it's him. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for crafty is almost identical to the word for naked. That's interesting in this passage. Often, we don't really get some of the Bible because we weren't the original target audience. But it is written for us to learn from. So the word for crafty was aram, and the word for naked is aramim. So they're almost identical. So the serpent is crafty, and later on we see... Adam and Eve were naked. The serpent wanted to make them like him. The enemy wants to drag you down to his level, not exalt you to God's. 
He sets out to distance us from God. He plants ideas and lies in our heads that challenge the truth of God, but he's very subtle. He wants to bring us down. He wants to make us more like him and less like Jesus, to make us naked, uncovered, and ashamed. You know, we all have those thoughts in our head that drive us a bit mad, don't we? Yeah? Little, little bit crazy. I, I have regularly gone up and down in my weight. I'm, I'm reasonably okay at the moment. I'm quite happy. I'm fitting in most of my clothes. That's a good thing. But I even, even when I get to the lowest level I've ever been, I still look at myself and think, oh, I'm, I'm fat. I'm fat. And actually, that can't be true. Because people then come up to me and go, oh, Johnny, you look ill. I'm like, no, it's just because you've seen me fat. And now I'm thinner, you think I'm ill. No, no, no. But actually, we have those thoughts in our head. We have those thoughts in our head that say, I'm useless. I'm no good. Nobody will love me. Actually, I'll never get there. I'll never be able to do this. And, and we have these thoughts that just take us by surprise. And why do we have them? Because actually, we have somebody who wants to drag us down to his level. We have somebody who wants to drag us down to a level of feeling naked and ashamed, to feeling less than we are. The, the enemy starts by questioning God's goodness. It's like kids, I was at, what's the most common question little children ask? Oh, we got it straight away. I thought it might have been, are we nearly there yet? But uh, I need the toilet. But why? I was at a meal uh, in Chipping a few weeks ago. I was there to, to speak at a church harvest festival. And um, I was sat opposite a little three-year-old. For those of you who used to come to Keswick, it was Rachel Kelsall's little boy. And all the way through the meal, if anyone said anything, his question was, but why? But why? But why? But why? So I started saying it to him. And then he turned around and he said, no, you're not allowed to ask that question. <laughs> Which did make me laugh. I'm like, well, that's a very good answer. Yeah, so as soon as I said to him, but why? No, you can't do that. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to say those words. But why? We question and we question and we question. And the enemy starts by questioning the goodness of God. Do we believe God is good? Even though the world we're in sometimes doesn't always appear that way, but that's because that's not God. That's the world we live in. And God is good. He questions God's goodness. He says this, did God really say, did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? That's a blatant lie. Chapter 2, verse 16 says this, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. So the first bit of a lie is immediately turning around God's truth. Did, you, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree? We had a very eccentric auntie. I've talked about her before. Many of you knew her. And actually, she gave the weirdest of presents. I remember Joel as a seven-year-old running across the room. He was taught to be very polite, throwing his arms around her and saying, it's just what I've always wanted when she gave him a lady's purse <laughs> as a seven-year-old. I remember Ros being given the freebies off a plane trip. I think I've said this before. For her birthday, she got all the paper goods off the airplane. For my 40th birthday, I was in school teaching at the time, and the receptionist came up to my classroom, and fortunately, I was on a break, and she said, your auntie's here to give you a birthday present. I'm like, my auntie? My auntie's in Manchester. And she's like, no, she insists that she's your auntie. So I went down the stairs thinking, what have I got? And I got the freebies off the Radio Times for my 40th birthday, and a card that was a colouring teddy bear card for a three-year-old for my 40th birthday. I actually found it the other day, tidying out my room. Books that she wanted to give you so that she could have them back and read them. That's right, isn't it, Carol? Yeah, 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 definitely. 
Francis obviously does that well. Joel got a pouch of cat food one Christmas, and he didn't even have a cat. As well as a book for musicians, because he plays the bass, a book for musicians that was aimed at six-year-olds when he was 19. <laughs> you know, it became a yearly fun game of what we're going to get this time. And actually, the thing that made it quite sad was her generosity to other people was quite immense. And so our kids were like, she forgot to give Corey a present the year Joel got the cat food, so she got 20 quid out and gave it Corey, and Joel just went. <laughs> but she was fun. She was a fun game. But you know, the snake, the enemy, questions God's generosity. The enemy questions God's goodness. And even today, people will go, well, there can't be a God because this happens. There can't be a God. The enemy makes us question God's goodness. The enemy makes us think that that's not good. And he actually starts by depersonalizing God. You might not have noticed this as you read. Did you notice anything in that chapter as I read it that depersonalized God? No? I'll read you a few verses. Verse 1. The Lord God had made. He said, the woman, did God say? Verse 3. Did God say? Verse 5, for God knows you will be like God. Then later on, it starts going, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. And all the way after that, it talks about the Lord God. The enemy doesn't call God by his name. The enemy lumps God in with the same as all the idols that are going to be worshipped throughout the Bible by people, the Ashtoreth poles, all those other things, the Baals, and the Bible here is emphasizing, the writer is emphasizing that the enemy depersonalizes God because God's name is I am who I am, Yahweh. At this point, he's not been given that name, but Moses is thought to be the writer and he was given that name for God. I am who I am. But the enemy depersonalizes him, lumps God in with all the other gods, all the other idols. Today it would be money, today it would be power, it would be sex, it would be all those different things. And it goes on through the Bible. We worship, you might think, well, we don't worship all the gods, do we? Samsung's late, anyone seen Samsung's latest advert for their phone? Do you know the tagline for it? So the Samsung advert says this, once you see it, you have to have it. What's that telling us? It's telling us we've, we've, we've got to have that thing. Whatever, whatever happens, we're not going to be enough unless we have a Samsung phone. Who's got a Samsung phone? Well done, you lot. Who hasn't got a Samsung phone? You're still enough. It doesn't matter. I've not got a Samsung phone. It really doesn't matter because actually you don't have to have it. So long as you can make a call and text somebody, that probably is ample. And play Candy Crush, baby. Okay, unless you've got an addiction like I have. Anyway, I'll have to come to that Tuesday night on that. Is that okay? That. <laughs> Yahweh is the personal name for God. So whenever it says the Lord God in the Bible, that's God's personal name. Whenever you see it written, Lord God, that is God's personal name. So the enemy just goes, God, God, trying to bring God down a peg or two, trying to make God seem unimportant. And the, the name of God means I am who I am. But the world from this moment and even today tries to make the name of God, you are who I want you to be. You'll be okay to pray to God when I really need help. You'll be okay, God, to pray to when I'm ill. 
You'll be okay, God, to pray to the night before a really important presentation or exam. You are who I want you to be isn't who God is. God is the I am, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. That is God. That is who he is. It goes from personal and generous God to a distant and mean, stingy God. So first of all, he does that. Next, we see a twisting of the commands of God. We may eat from the trees, but God said you mustn't eat from the tree in the middle. In fact, you must not touch it or you will die. That's a blatant lie. It's not true. It's a twisting of the truth. Don't even touch it. Twisting what God says. That's done what future people do. A lot of people think church is about rules. Sit there, be quiet, don't do this, don't do that. A lot of people think, I can't go to church because I feel worse than I did when I came in. That's not true. Well, I hope it's not true. If you do feel worse than when you came in, see us afterwards and I'll tell you some more jokes if that'll help you. I don't think that'll probably make you feel even worse. Let's not go there. But he's done what future people will do, that put rules around things to stop people breaking them. And maybe those first humans had started to do that, had started to put extra rules in place, becoming legalistic, making God seem distant, making God seem mean, because he only cares about rules and keeping us down. Eve answers the question and understates God's generosity and overstates his strictness. A bit like when a child shouts, that's so unfair. Anyone got children that do that? It's just not fair. Yeah? When they say that, it's because we're trying to protect them. We're trying to put boundaries in place that are going to keep them safe. We're trying to give them a, a way of being that will help them. And yet they kick against it. They kick against it. And the snake's response, again, is to question God's judgment and God's rule. He says, you will not certainly die. And actually, in chapter 2, verse 17, God says, if you eat from it, you will certainly die. The enemy lies and makes things look good, and he makes the consequences nothing. He makes you think that if you go through with this, it'll be okay. Nobody will mind. It won't matter. But interestingly, the world's view today is just do it. Do you know where that phrase was first? The, do you know the Nike executive that heard that phrase and decided to put it on their T-shirts? Do you know where he actually was inspired? He was inspired by watching an execution in America on death row. And the man was asked, have you got any last words? And the man in the electric chair said, just do it. And then that became the slogan for your Nike t-shirts. Just do it. Just do it. But it was the Nike tick fantasy on your quiz. Anyway. You know, the way today, the world today says, do what makes you happy. Do what makes you feel good. The enemy says, did God really say you can't do that. Did God really say that wouldn't be good for you? Did God really say, do you know, God's first command is to go forth and multiply. That's a good thing. Sex in that relationship, in that marital relationship. The world's view is go forth with multiple partners and as many experiences as possible. Makes it seem not as good. So they both eat the fruit and they go from naked and innocent to shame-filled, embarrassed and hiding in the trees. Can you see what the enemy does? He makes us embarrassed. He makes us full of shame. He makes us feel unworthy. And yet, actually, Jesus says, you're loved. You're loved. You're loved. Verses 8 to 10 in this chapter sum up the theme of the Bible. Verses 8 to 10 says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God wants us to walk with him. Do you know the word? Do you like, you like the words? Those of you like words? God walked with him in the cool of the day. The word cool, not like, yo, I'm cool, because that's obviously not true. But the word cool is actually the word ruach. Where have you heard that word? The Holy Spirit. So if you hear the word ruach, it's the breath of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the wind of God. It's that power of God. So when we hear it say, the man walked with God in the cool of the day, it actually could be translated, the man walked with God in his spirit. The man walked with God in the power of his spirit. You know, the message of the Bible is God wants us to walk in step with his spirit every day. That God wants us to walk with him in the cool of the day. We might say, oh, it's a real opportunity that Adam had. We've got the same opportunity today to walk with God in his Holy Spirit in the Ruach of God. He asks Adam, where are you? And I believe God asks us today, where are you? Not because he doesn't know where you are, not because he doesn't know who you are and, and everything to do with you, because he loves you and he loves you no matter what you've done and he loves you no matter what you're gonna do. It's the enemy that makes you feel shameful. It's the enemy that makes you think, oh, I'm not good enough. God loves you no matter what. And he says, where are you? Not because he doesn't know, but because he wants us to confront our circumstances and confess our sins and turn to him. God says, I'm here, where are you? I'm here, where are you? Will you run to me? Will you come to me? Will you, will you throw your arms wide to me? Or will you keep walking away from me and hiding? Because I'm not gonna force myself into your life, says God. God was there. He came, he was there with Adam. He was available. But sin gets in the way. What does, sin's an old-fashioned word. It literally means missing the mark. An arrow shot to a target, if it misses the mark, you've sinned. So basically, you've missed the mark. You've not measured up. Makes us distant, fearful of a God who's holy. Brings shame and guilt. Makes us afraid. You know what was Jesus' most common instruction? Do not be afraid. And yet what happens here when shame and when things go wrong, people become afraid. There are people all over our country, all over our world who are afraid of what's going to happen. Do you know, we don't need to be afraid because God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And in the end, it will be okay. In the end, it will be better than okay. You know, what, what make, make, it makes a huge difference when somebody's with us, doesn't it? Yeah? Joel on the Keswick to Barrow made a huge difference, someone being with him the first time he did it. And then he abandoned me and left me on my own. <laughs> but then I had the last laugh when he seized up in Dalton, so it was okay. But um, Chloe, you know, the same thing. When they walk, being with them makes a huge difference. I know Paul Hardingham, where he's there. They have, did you do 60 miles this year? Last year? Paul does the Keswick to Barrow, then walks everybody else in, and then carries on. I used to drive the minibus round, and we're like, we've done like the same distance, and we're all like, I just want to, Steve Pacey, you're still suffering now, aren't you, four months later? Paul is just like a machine. It's like nothing has happened when he's done the Keswick to Barrow. It's like he's just walked to work, and it's fine. It's right, isn't it? Is he that bad at home, Alison? Does he, does he seize up, or is he okay? 
He does seize so. up. He's just, he's just too proud to let anyone see. <laughs> he must have a good bath. That's all I can say. But yeah, walking with somebody makes a difference. That's why Paul does that. Because he knows that he's motored on and got there. And other people like me and Stephen and anyone else who's normal <laughs> need somebody to encourage. Do you know, God is with us. We don't need to be afraid. And here we start to see blame. What does Adam say when God says, what have you done? Adam says, the woman you gave me, she gave me it. It's her fault. Yeah? What does Eve say? Oh, the serpent lied to me, so I ate it. It's their fault. And we start to see blame. We all do it, don't we? I've still, I've, Joel's 26, 26, aren't you, Joel? That's right. When he was around four and Chloe was one, I've told you this story before, Ros had glossed the door in our house and Joel had just started primary school and she came downstairs after it had dried and found marker pen that said the words Joel perfectly spelt. And so Ros went, have you done this? He went, no, it was Chloe. <laughs> she was one. And he was adamant it was Chloe. Because do you know what? We don't need to learn the blame game. We don't need to learn to put the, the problem on somebody else. We just do it from an early age. And actually, it's not a new thing. But another theme of the whole word of God is there are consequences of disobedience. And as we come to finish, there are three consequences in a promise. We see three consequences. The serpent will come back to you towards the end. But the woman is told that having children will be painful and that she will desire for a husband to rule over her. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? But we like words, don't we? So the word rule over actually is the same as the sun's activity by day and the moon's activity by night. So when it says rule over, it's the same as the sun doing what it does during the daytime and the moon doing what it does at the nighttime. What is the purpose of the sun and the moon? Brings light, brings help, brings warmth, brings comfort, brings light in dark times. So when we hear a husband to rule over, it doesn't mean you get back in the kitchen and do what I've told you, because that doesn't happen in our house, honest. doesn't. It doesn't mean that. It means you'll need dependence. You've got to have a desire to depend on somebody. Instead of recognising you can depend on God, you're going to just have a desire to depend on somebody. They'll protect you, they'll keep you warm, they'll comfort you. That's the ideal, but it'll bring a desire for dependence rather than independence. Adam, God says, you listen to her and not to me. What are you listening to today? Who are we listening to? Who are we following? Who are we obedient to? Is it God? Is it his way? Or do we make excuses? So for Adam, the consequences of not listening to God was work got harder the process of life is reversed from the dust and you go back. Do you know, I think we often think God is withholding something better and that's why we do what we do. That God is holding something back from us. It's how the enemy works in the beginning and he's still trying to convince us now. That bit of weed won't hurt. A couple of drinks here won't damage me. That lie, just a little white lie. But God says, I've got the best already in front of you. His promises and his word are true. Back to the serpent. If we look at verses 14 to 15, yes, he loses his legs and eats dust. That's not very pleasant. But verse 15 holds the key to the whole theme of God's provision in the Bible. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
When you hear the word crush, what does that sound like? Does that sound like a total and utter victory? Yeah? If it's a crushing defeat, that's a total... You know, I was pretty crushed last night. We didn't have a comedian here, but there was a referee who was a bit of a comedian on the football pitch, but that's by the by. When we're crushed, it means we're beaten. So the enemy is told, the offspring of this woman will crush you. They will beat you. They will have victory. But then it says, and you will strike his heel. That's a little bit of a cost, isn't it? That's not a complete and utter finished thing, is it? You know, Steve's struggling with his feet from the Keswick to Barrow four months on. He still gets on. He's still okay, aren't you? Well, Laura's not doubtful. Laura's a bit doubtful. Striking the heel means a bit of pain. It means a bit of sacrifice. But the enemy will still be crushed. And so actually, this is pointing to a painful shot, not a winning blow. And it's pointing to Jesus. We see three pictures as I finish. I've said that word twice now to give you hope. We see three pictures of God's provision and grace despite our sin. First of all, he will have ultimate victory and he will crush the enemy. The enemy will be beaten. Whatever is coming against you right now in this world, if you're with God, the Bible says the enemy will be beaten. The enemy will be beaten. But it will be at a cost with a painful sacrifice. Verses 7 to 8, they tried to cover themselves and hid behind trees. It wasn't enough to stop the consequences. It wasn't enough to save them. When they tried to do it for themselves, it wasn't enough. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 to 23 are the law. It says this, this was the law to Israel. If someone has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed and hung on a tree, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury the body that same day, for anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. And in this way, you will prevent the defilement of the land the Lord your God is giving you as your special possession. That was the law. People hung on a tree were cursed. Everything was on them. Galatians 3 verses 13 to 14 is the bit that's written after Jesus and says this, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When Jesus was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. They hid among the trees and covered themselves with leaves to cover their shame. Do you know, Jesus hung on a tree to provide cover for our shame. He hung on a tree to provide cover for the wrong we do so that we would be rescued. He became the curse so that we might receive the Holy Spirit. We could walk with God in the Ruach of the day. Finally, despite their disobedience and blame shifting, God still makes a way to relieve them of their shame. God clothes them in animal skins. What does that mean? It means something had to die to cover their shame. It wasn't enough to just be the tree. Something had to die to cover their shame and their sin. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, Eugene Peterson in the message version, a paraphrase, says this, and I think he sums it up quite well. He says, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offence. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. How do we wear love? We allow it to be clothed from God. It's, God is love. 
We allow ourselves to be clothed by his spirit, his ruach. We allow him to clothe us with who he is. So what do we learn from this chapter? That the enemy in the world and even those who've heard God's truth will sometimes twist things, will be quick to blame others and will be disobedient. We learn that there are consequences for our mistakes on ourselves and even on others after us. But even though we've gone so far away from God, he's made a way for our shame to be covered, for our life to be victorious. He's provided Jesus who will ultimately crush the opposition. So I'll finish with this. Where are you? Where are you? Are you trying just hard to do it yourself? Where are you? Are you running closer to God to say, God, I need you. I need you to clothe me. Where are you? He knows. He just wants you to draw near because the Bible says when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to pray as we finish. So we took bread and we took juice to remember Jesus' body and blood. This morning, if you've never accepted that, God is saying to you, where are you? You can accept him this morning. You can accept his sacrifice that covers your shame and your past. He says you're loved. And the Bible tells us that God so loved the world, he gave his son, Jesus. Our prayer team will be at the back. If you want someone to pray with you, if you want someone to, to speak with you, then just go and speak to them. If you need someone to go with you, go with them. But this morning, let me just say this. God's plan is to crush the opposition. And he already has done that through, this, through the sacrifice of Jesus. We've got to finish by singing a couple of songs, a couple of worship songs. We'll stay seated to begin with. If anyone wants to go and be prayed with and prayed for, then please do. If you want to sit and just be quiet, please do. If anything I've said that confuses you, come and talk to me at the end. But remember, I only had about 36 hours to prepare for this morning. <laughs> but this morning, as a church, we're here every week. We don't just do it because we think it's a good thing to do, although it is. We do it because we come to worship the Lamb that was slain, the Jesus who died for our sins, the one who enables us to live free, to live free from fear and free from the future of, of difficulty and pain and free from a past that traps us so this morning father god i pray for each one of us i pray that we will know your grace and your mercy in jesus name amen